0: So now you're Nathan. You've got to go tell David you shouldn't have done that. How do you do that? What do you do? Well, in 2 Samuel 12, we see the answer. Nathan goes and gives a genius response. Verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat the morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. uh, uh, And he was unwilling to take one of his own flocks, or herd and prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Everybody got the story? Poor man's got a sheep. This is his only sheep, and he's raised it up. It's a house pet. Okay, it reads from the table. This rich guy's got all these sheep. He doesn't even know the sheep's name. He's just got a bunch of sheep. But when a guest comes, Rather than spoil his own flock, he takes the guy's household pet sheep and slaughters it to give to the guests. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. David gets fired up, right? And Nathan says to him, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. If you continue the story, you get to you continue the chapter. What you find is Nathan is God is calling through His prophet Nathan David out on his behavior, saying, "You could have had all these different women, and instead you stole a woman from a guy that was just a guy in town. You are the man." His punishment, if you read the chapter, this son born of the sin with Bathsheba would have to die. So why does this little story work? I want to really talk today about Nathan's story here. Why is it so effective? First, notice how outraged David is. David's outraged because, first of all, he expects the ethical behavior, right? It's outrageous that you would steal the lamb when you've got all these other lambs. Right, but I think David also expects the story to be a little bit better. Right, it's kind of a lame, anticlimactic story. Right, if I just told you that story, it's it's kind of a dumb story. We'd all be like, "That's the ending." You ever watch a movie like that? That's the ending. Turns out that we all have very particular expectations about story. I've been reading a lot recently about screenplays, about writing movies. It kind of ruins watching movies, but it's very interesting. All movies are basically the same story. They basically unfold the same way. A character called the protagonist has something happen that sends them on a quest where they're going to have to change to overcome it. Maybe they've got to go through mountains and go on a literal quest. Maybe they've got to change in such a way that they can attract the girl. But whatever it is, they've got to go on a journey. Normally, there's a guide that comes along and helps them. There's, there's maybe multiple people that come along and sort of tilt them in the right direction. Right? I mean, uh, remember Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure? It was like that. there he goes, there's these weird people. And they keep getting Pee Wee going in the right direction again. So often there's a guide of some kind who, uh, who, who they go on the journey and either the journey is successful or not successful. In play terms, uh, if, you, uh, if it's a play where they get the girl or it all comes together, it's normally called a comedy. And if they don't make it, it's called a tragedy. You've got two options at the end. They either make it or they don't make it. That's like every movie you've ever seen. Okay? Star Wars. Luke wants to go and fight the empire, but he's not ready. And so he's got to have people come along and help him, right? He's got Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then later he's got Yoda. Sorry if I'm geeking out a little bit on you here, okay? The mentor Luke, and he's got to change. He's got to learn to trust the force so he can get there. Uh, uh, this one might be a little more on this congregation's kind of wavelength. Finding Nemo. You remember Finding Nemo, the Pixar cartoon with the fish, okay? the, the the Finding Nemo is not about Nemo. Finding Nemo is about Marlin, It's Nemo's dad who, who is uh, nervous and scared and doesn't want to take any risk, but his son gets captured, so he's got to go across the ocean. He's got to learn as he goes, right? And he's got all these mentors. He meets some sharks. He meets some turtles. He meets a whale and all these things sort of... I mean, this is every movie you've pretty much ever seen that was good. Movies that violate this sort of structure don't normally do very well. They're not normally very good because we like our stories a certain way. And the story is always ultimately about the character transformation. The movie is is always about the characters getting better and improving. Okay? That's why every movie ends with some kind of scene where you get to see, okay, now they really do love each other. Okay, now he is strong enough to face whatever he comes up. Now Marlon isn't scared of the ocean. Now Luke is going to trust in the force. You get to see at the end whether the character transformed or not. You know who really understands this? ESPN. Sports networks really understand this. Because sports are a natural conflict. It, it is. It's a conflict between two people or two teams. But you know what ESPN does? Backstory right? They even call them plot lines. And so they want to talk about, well, what happened last time these two teams played? How have they played the last few times? What about players that used to be on this team and are now on this team? They give all the background stories of where the players came from, where they grew up, and all the challenges that they went through. Why? Because they know that if you're going to watch the event and get into it, you have to want to cheer for the characters. You have to want to see them transform and win. It, Rocky, the Rocky movies are the perfect example of this, right? Every Rocky movie is about Rocky getting better. It's the same movie every time. Can he fight with Apollo Creed? Well, he's got to train and do it. Can he fight with the big Russian guy? Yeah, he's got to train and get better. Every, every Rocky movie is the exact same movie. It's just a different bad guy. Now, why does why story do this to us? Why do we get caught up in the story? The the reason we love stories like this and the reason why we look for patterns in stories like this is that fundamentally our lives are stories, right? David very quickly sees himself in the story. If you read along, he, he instantly knows, oh man, that's me. Why? Because our lives are stories. If I wanted to get to know you, I could start out with some facts. How tall are you? Where do you work? Where do you come from? But if I really want to get to know you, I've got to know your story. I've got to know what shaped you, who you are. Our lives naturally unfold over time and in seasons, like scenes in a movie. Our lives are like movies, they're natural. You're in the middle of a story right now. In fact, you're in the middle of multiple stories. You're in the middle of a story at home, in your marriage, at work, in all kinds of other relationships. You're in the middle of an unfolding story. This is how we defined our land, our home, our people groups. You ever been through somebody else with, been through something with somebody else so that you suddenly feel close to them? Stories impact our relationships. Stories impact our place. If I asked you to talk right now about your grandparents' home, you could tell me that. And you would start telling me stories. We think in terms of story. If you told me how to bake a cake, you'd basically be telling me the story of baking a cake. you tell me you had directions to get to somewhere. You're fundamentally telling me stories. In fact, have you ever had somebody give you directions with stories? You're going to go down and you're going to turn at where the gas station used to be. You're going to go a little further, you're going to turn right where the old tree swing used to be that we used to swing on when we were a kid. People actually think their way through their world in story. I think there's a bigger reason for this, though. I think God is fundamentally storied. Think about the Bible. It's primarily story. Moses is constantly retelling the Exodus story. Paul, several times, two times in the book of Acts, tells his story over again. He's always telling the story. Jesus teaches all the time in parables. He doesn't just tell you, he tells you a story. We sing songs about loving to tell the story, the old, old story, and we have a story to tell to the nations. In fact, Jesus is fundamentally a story himself, Right? The whole Bible is one big story, where there's a conflict, right? There's this thing called sin, and what's God going to do about sin? Will people always be separate? And so God goes on a journey. It's called the Incarnation. We celebrate it every Christmas. And He goes, and He doesn't change in His character, but He certainly changes the way He relates to us. Pentecost does that same thing. So God can be really close to us. Our lives are stories because our God is about stories. And our God is in the story transformation business. By the way, organizations have stories too. This church is in the middle of its story. And we've been starting to retell the old chapters, and we're trying to think about new chapters. So David really quickly sees himself in this story, because his life is a story. So he naturally sees himself in the story. But what's the problem with David's story right now? Really, David's story is stuck David sort of got writer's block. I mean, for a long time, he was fighting all these people, and he was running from Saul, and he was taking out giants. Now, he's walking around his palace looking at naked women. The story has sort of paused, right? He's not changing. He's not growing. He's avoiding conflict. But don't we do that too? We get comfortable, and we avoid any kind of conflict. We love conflict in movies, right? And we know that the bigger the conflict in the movie, the better the movie is because the character is going to have to change more. But when it comes to our lives, we don't like conflict. We don't like big adventures. We like to be comfortable. David's at that point where he's avoiding conflict and his plot is basically stopped. And now he's got a plot going with Bathsheba that's not a good plot. Our story gets stopped for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we get comfortable and we avoid conflict. Sometimes we feel like our story is so saturated in problems that we feel stuck. You ever talk to these people? They're like Eeyore, right? Woe is me. Everything's wrong. And every one of their stories are like that. We get stuck in the same role. How many of you know people like this? They're the victim in every story they play. They're the victim at home. They're the victim at work. Or you get these control freaks, right? I'm going to be the savior and the controlling one in every one of my stories. These people drive us nuts. What they do is they're typecasting. It's like Bruce Willis in every movie he's ever played in. Okay? And what we do is the same thing. We just didn't, we go home and we play the same kind of person, that. Maybe that our dad played or our mom played and we do the same thing at work and we never really stop to think, is this the story we want to be in? Is this the role I want to play in this story? Sometimes we forget the previous chapters. Churches do this a lot. We lose connection with our history so we don't know where we are in the story. Therefore, we don't know what to write for the next chapter. Sometimes people have a loss or a failure or a tragedy that just stops the story. Have you ever seen people like this? They go through a loss and their life just sort of goes on hold. There's no more story. we just stuck with that story, that moment. Sometimes I know people that live a story that's really a lie. They, they try to live a story but they're just trying to fool themselves into thinking there's something they're not. Or they're trying to put on a, a big pose for everybody else. But it's not a true story. People and organizations get stuck in bad stories, weak stories, we just kind of get writer's block. We don't know what to do next. We're not really going anywhere. It's not real exciting. It's kind of the way life is. I mean, if you look at every movie, no movie starts with a character deciding to go on the quest. They're always forced. Because in life, we need to be forced like that sometimes. David has no... He's had all this conflict in his life, and now he just wants to sit and rest. But the problem is, getting, just sitting in rest, he gets really caught in temptation. So Nathan comes and tells him a story. And it's a genius move. Because he gets David caught up in the story. And as he does, he gets David to critique his own story. David says, that man ought to die. And Nathan says, you're that man. So David has actually condemned himself. Our lives are like stories, but a lot of us get stuck where we're not really moving. Are you living a story that you want to be living? Are you playing the roles in your stories that you should be playing? Or are you avoiding conflict? Let me say it another way. Are you trying to do anything in your life right now that you cannot accomplish as the person you are now? Is there anything you're doing in your life that's so pushing, you're going to have to change and grow to accomplish it? Then maybe you need a bigger story. What is the story of your business, of your workplace? What is the story of your family? What story is your family living? What's the story of Thanksgiving, and is that the one that you want? What's what's the story of Christmas dinner, and is that the one you want for your family? Here's what I'm learning right now. God is a great story writer. He's in the story business. There's a reason why Hollywood keeps copying all of God's stories. Because they're good ones. God writes, though, big stories. And God is very much in the transformation business. Start reading God's stories. You find characters that have to totally change to follow God's will. God doesn't leave David alone. He sends Nathan. And Nathan in the story, sort of in the bigger story there, sort of becomes the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the mentor that comes along to, to line David back up. How's your story going? go? Because I want to challenge you to live a bigger and brighter story. A story where you don't think it's possible, but you're willing to, to trust God and change in the process anyway. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your story. That you save us, that you come for us, that you call us. That you've done so much work to get us here. Speak to us, work in us, I pray. Amen.